hey there, just want to give you a quick heads up before this week's episode. We are going on the road. We'll be at the 2018 Sanibel Island Riders Conference on Friday, November 9th at 4 p.m. I'll be joined by three of the conference participants on stage in the theater at Big Arts on Sanibel, each telling one song story with speed rounds for some of the other stuff. There are still tickets available, so check out their website if you want to be a part of the audience during that recording. All righty then, on with the show. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that introduces you to people through the lens of the songs that have touched their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this episode is Stephen Britton. Stephen's been in Southwest Florida since the early 60s when he moved here with his mom and siblings. He's worked in the tech world since the mid-70s, including stints with the company that founded Lehigh Acres, the Florida Department of Health, and these days the Lee County Elections Office. Introduced to church music at an early age, Stephen became a choir director for the first time when he was 19 years old. Over the years, he served as choir director and organist for Baptist, Unitarian, MCC, and Episcopal congregations. Stephen first came to our attention during our interview for this show with Megan Kissinger. She mentioned a friend who had a full-fledged pipe organ built into his house. Stephen says a chance meeting in his early 20s with a local retired banker and theater organ enthusiast began his love affair with the theater pipe organ. Now his house is home to a 25-rank Wurlitzer theater pipe organ that was once installed in Chicago and later in San Francisco. His house, which he describes as having a studio-like setting, is also home to five grand pianos and an eclectic mix of antiques and historical items, including things like early phonographs, a jukebox, old clocks, and a cat named Opus. Hey there, Stephen. Good morning. It's a pleasure to meet you. Likewise, likewise. Um, uh, we'll get to the pianos and the cats and stuff in a bit. But so you're, the part of the bio that I cut out said that, you know, um, d- due to your work as a choir director and as an organist, you really didn't have any holidays or weekends off for a very long time. So when did that end? And now what do you do with your holidays and weekends? Well, having started as a musician when I was 19, there was no Christmas or uh, Easter were just really terrible times for a musician. And uh, when I went to work for the elections office in 2015, uh, elections are such that you really have to be there if there's work to be done. So it was the appropriate time to stop doing church music. So I think I finished sometime around 2016. So fairly recently. Fairly recently, yeah. And now I wake up, I go to St. Mattress by the Springs. <laughs> and stay home and get stuff done at the house. There's nice. always a project. So let's talk some about this pipe organ. What does 25 rank mean? Is that like, is, does that equate to how many pipes there are or something like that? In a roundabout way, a rank is a voice. Okay. So if you have a trumpet and an oboe oh. and a string, that would be three ranks. Usually a rank means a minimum of 61 individual pipes. So uh, my instrument happens to have 1,765 pipes. Really? In a 27 feet wide by 14 and a half foot deep chamber at one end of my living room. So each rank needs its own series of pipes. Absolutely That covers the entire spectrum of the the octaves that it's going to... A pipe can only make one sound. It only has one job. That's crazy. <laughs> Mind blown. That's all news yeah. to me. Um, how uncommon is it for a person to have such an organ in their house? From what I've been told, <laughs> it's the largest instrument in a residence south of Great Falls, Virginia. Uh, 
It's so crazy. Very, so very uncommon. It's rare. There are people that have smaller versions and some that were built for practice instruments. Uh, I've, I know two or three people in Florida that have them, but none are the breadth and scope of this instrument. How did, it, you, how did, you, how did it come to you? I heard about it this particular instrument. And my home already had a small instrument in it from the previous owner who had befriended me when I was 23. A small instrument like a... Like 15 ranks of world Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, when I moved into that home uh, shortly before his death, that instrument was beginning to need repair. Uh, instruments like fine wine and other fine pieces of art have an opus number. And the opus number indicates that it was built by a certain builder and it's complete. I wanted a complete instrument, not one built from parts. And one became available in California. And uh, I sent an, a representative out to look at it. And I purchased it weeks after Hurricane uh, Wilma came through and drove so like it. like mid-2000s? It was uh, 2005. Gotcha. And uh, brought it home in two trucks from California at the height of the guy gas crisis. <laughs> and, uh, Costing you 60 cents a mile to drive it probably? It cost $17,000 to bring it home. Wow. That was the price of the two trucks and the trip. But uh, it's a labor of love. I feel like I am the caretaker for my time on the planet. And so it stays in my home and very happy. We show it to a lot of people. I get phone calls often. Do not publish my phone number. <laughs> Are you the caretaker of it? Is there someone that you can hire to do that? I How do, do you do I, that? You can do uh, minimal work yourself. Uh, you can do tuning and minor repair. I usually will have a tuner come in once a year or so and do the special work. But you become very adept at what has to be done. It's all leather, glue, lumber, and some pipes. And it's it's wind. I mean, there's air. It's so are there big, there big fans? There are big pumps? There's that a 10-horsepower the, the, motor in the blower room that's in housed in a steel case. And this thing runs. It sounds like a turbine. It's actually the most frightening part of the instrument. And it supplies 23 inches of water displacement in a tube. So if, if I had a J-tube with water, it would move it up 23 inches. And uh, Florida Power and Light sends me a thank you note every month. <laughs> it's actually three-phase power, so I have to have a special you device. Have have a special box for a, it. A variable frequency device that creates fake three-phase power for the instrument. Well, fascinating. Okay, well, we asked you to send us a bit of you playing it, um, so we're going to hear that now. I don't have to set this up. You'll know exactly what it is, but let's hear a little bit of Stephen Britton playing his pipe organ off McGregor in Fort Myers.
So what do your neighbors think? Well. <laughs> or you have a big well, lot? <laughs> it's a, not particularly. The, the walls of the house were filled with sand. Oh, so before, it's, it's built to have be as. It sounds like a TV's being played too loudly inside. Oh, so you can just sit there and rock out. Unless they open the garage door and then you can hear it at McGregor Boulevard. <laughs> when I hear that, I can't believe that that's mine. It's just an amazing feeling to know that I'm the one taking care of that. How often do you play it? Like all the time? A couple or? days a week. A couple yeah. days a week? Yeah. Huh. Uh, how often do you learn new songs? Uh, not as often as I should. Yeah. Because people want to hear the same, what you call the war horses, you know. Right, right. Play something from Phantom. You that, did you ever say, take me out to the ball game? <laughs> I, all the time. You, n- you never know what you're going to be asked to play. Uh, okay. Let's jump back uh, to you, your childhood. What was the musical background of your childhood? I was uh, blessed to have a mother who was a coloratura. That's What's the, that? A coloratura is the soprano in the stratosphere. That's unfortunate. Yes, way high. The usually the big lady in front, but she was not a big lady, and um, she was professionally trained prior to my birth. And uh, when she came to Little Lehigh Acres in 1962, uh, and married what became my uh, father. She sang in the local church choir. My grandfather, who was the Baptist minister, thought he'd hit pay dirt because she had a voice and could sing, and it was just amazing. So I grew up. uh, I told someone recently that my first sing-along with mom, I'm told, was classical opera, Puccini, Verde. (laughs) I don't remember it, but I'm told that's what my early uh, beginnings were. What about like popular music around the house um, or on the radio or on turntables? Uh, We had all sorts of material. You know, again, this was a very small town. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't even imagine Lehigh Acres in the 60s. I remember Lehigh Acres in the 80s. It it was was built, I think it was started around 1955. I had no idea it went back that far. I'm there seven years into it. Everything was brand new Mm -hmm. and pristine. But there were only two radio stations that I can remember in Fort Myers, WMYR 1440, uh, 1410 rather, and the AM station played all the hits of the day, the top 40 songs, and uh, we got them six months after they were released up north. It took that long for them <laughs> to become popular here. And so uh, that's what we listened to. And we, everybody carried a transistor radio in their pocket. Can you remember the first time that music moved you? I think the first one would probably be the first uh, piece of material that I submitted to you. Oh. And uh, I remember always being involved in it and always having a, uh, a connection to it. And uh, I had a grandmother that I was very – my mother's mother that I was very close to. And I was the first grandson and the first of gr- child of, an, of their only daughter. So we were very close. And we – when I was with her – I was allowed to play her hi-fi, and uh, my uh, that was that was a big deal for me. So I, was that up north still? That was here. Oh, that yeah. was here. So yeah. Grandma was here too. She had moved here, I think, in '59 or '60. So you followed Grandma down. We came down for a vacation and never went home. Stephen, we have the same story. You and I. I moved here because my grandparents moved here, and then my mom moved here with me and my brother and sister. So there we my, go. <laughs> mom came. Mom came on a train. With three of us, I was four, my sister was two, and my brother six months old. And she came here because it would be the last time that she would get to take a vacation being unbridled by the school calendar. I was going to start first grade in, uh, in Irvington, New Jersey. And we came here alone, stayed with her parents, 
And when my biological father came to retrieve us, <laughs> they had a big argument. Hmm. And uh, real, she realized that the marriage was over. And my grandfather told him to get on a plane and fly home, and he did. And he told my mom, she said, she'll cool off and come back in a few days, and we never did. Hmm. She stayed here, filed for divorce, later remarried. And uh, it was really a perfect story for her. She was very happy. Hmm. So this song that you were listening to with your grandma, what was it called? Uh, the first one was in, probably was In My Garden. It's an Ida Bell Firestone piece. I didn't know much about it when I was a kid, except it was my mother's recordings. Mom had, uh, as I mentioned earlier, had done concert work, primarily uh, in conjunction with her music lessons. In that time period, you took music lessons, and then the music teacher gave a recital annually. And all of her students, in formal gowns, with hired accompanists, and the whole business went to a, uh, basically an auditorium and held a recital. And sometime, I'm guessing prior to 1955, this, a recording was made of her three, three sides, uh, three 78s. And um, I liked them. And so when I was with my grandmother, I would say, Nana, can I play mom's records? And she would let me. And they were 78s. And I remember the hi-fi was spastic at that speed, you know, the mechanism yeah, going yeah. all over the place. And uh, this uh, In My Garden was one of my favorites. And I think I liked it because my grandmother told me the story when they recorded it live at the concert hall, the air conditioning had broken down at the Griffith Piano Company in Newark, New Jersey, where they had an auditorium for public recitals. So the windows were open. And in one spot in the song, my mother sings a phrase. There's a musical interlude and a car horn in the street below goes beep, beep. And as a very young kid, she told me, listen for the beeps. And uh, they're there as plain as day. When I play this piece of music now, uh, kind of as a tribute to my mom, I add the beeps on the organ. <laughs> and uh, which uh, which voice do you use? I use for a the big beep? old uh, English post horn, and I play <laughs> F and A together, and it sounds like a car horn. The recordings that my mother had were not stored properly over the years, and they were basically acetates. You know, a seventy-eight acetate on a like an aluminum base, mm -hmm. and so they have not survived. But uh, I guess this leads into the part where. A dear friend of mine, after her death in 2015, a buddy of mine in Detroit, Pierre Fracalanza, was talking to me on the uh, computer, on Facebook, and said, are there any songs that remind you of your mother? And I said, oh, Ida Bell Firestone's In My Garden. And several weeks later, I got a file, uh, and it was him playing this piece of music, which was not only touching, but it took me right back to hearing it and loving it when I was a kid. All right, let's listen to it. This is uh, In My Garden by Ida Bell Firestone, uh, performed by pianist, say his name again, Pierre Fracalanza. All right.
as someone who spends as much time at a keyboard as you do, um, that song probably has a lot of different layers of, of memory and meaning for you. Not only does it take you back to your mom, but I, I saw you during the... It's pretty complicated musically. Yeah. And there's a spot there where the, as it goes into the first phrase where it changes keys, and it's a very interesting chord. It's an open fifth, and I think it's D-flat. I'm not sure, but it's gorgeous. And so I listen for that. I, uh, I'm one of those people... I get teased for this all the time. I don't have music playing in my home when you come to visit because if it was playing in the background and I hear a phrase, I will stop in mid-sentence <laughs> and do this. Watch listen for this blank spot. And, and I'll say, excuse me, I just, I just get – it's really – I don't listen to music during dinner. It, it, it's very much a distraction. Is that like the case if you're in your car, like no matter when music is around you? Because uh, I have some, I have a, I have a friend who's really into music theory, and he's always deconstructing. Something. Well, I do, I do that. <laughs> you do that, and as a musician, you know, you look, you look for a certain phrase or a pattern, or you look for maybe a grace note, and if you hear a grace note, you know that you need to hear it again. That if it's, if it's a good composition, once is a mistake, twice is a, it, it was intentional. And uh, it's usually when I'm having conversation with other people. What is a grace note? A is grace that... note is where you might go, you start on a B and up to a C immediately, uh, blink, you know, uh, moving uh, from uh, one uh, from uh, one note to the next in a hurry. And uh, it's um, you, you hear it in classical music a lot, and uh, in popular music as well. But I uh, I can't really carry on a conversation and dim dim conversation with somebody else with this other input coming in. I don't know if it's just me or maybe I need professional help. I'm so not sure. Does that mean um, that you don't really listen to music around the house even when other people aren't there? Do you have... Oh, a, if it's not me playing it, I don't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. that's, not, that's not entirely true. That sounds terribly <laughs> ostentatious. But uh, what I listen to, nobody else would want to hear. So I would never have a group over and have, be serving dinner or talking with friends and and have something on the turntable because they would just say, what is that garbage? So, oh, interesting. So uh, you're more of a producer of music than a consumer of music probably. Pro- probably so. Huh. I, li- I, have, I like to listen to a lot of theater. I like to listen to tight harmonies. I like to listen to the high lows from the 50s, the Manhattan transfer, things that uh, I tell people I zoned out about 1980 <laughs> okay. and stopped listening to music. So Okay. Well, that, uh, that takes care of several of my future potential questions. Um, so what did you want to be when you grew up, when you, when you were a kid? What, you, what were you hoping toward? You know, I didn't really think I had anything specific. I was fortunate enough. I sang in my grandfather's church choir mm-hmm. starting on Mother's Day, 1971, and uh and I knew I liked music, but I knew I didn't want to make a career out of it. And if any of my musician friends hear this, I'm probably in big trouble. But it's, it can be a real cutthroat kind of business. Uh, it can be, um, you know, I play better than you or you're better than me or you don't do church right. And I didn't want any part of that. Uh, I was fortunate enough that the man that sat two seats from me in the church choir was the director of human resources for the first company that I went to work for. Oh, out in Lehigh. Yep. And I went to Mr. Johnson one day and I said, I want to work with computers. And he said, fine, show up here on November 4th or 5th, November 5th, 1975. And I went to work and literally computer operator trainee, $2.65 an hour. And uh, you could do that then. There was a, a logical progression from 
Right. There entry wasn't, level jobs. There wasn't to, an infinite world already there that you had to find a way into. You, do, you, do, you know, I tell people I'm probably the last generation of people that can be an information technology director without a college degree. Hmm. So you that, that was straight on from there? Stayed there. Uh, the nice thing about it is that it was even in the day it was lucrative. Mm-hmm. I was able to own a home and a car and I didn't spend frivolously, but I never really had to squeeze and pinch pennies and live on ramen noodles like so many people do. Right. But uh, so that that worked out. But that's I sort of wanted to be a technician in the technology field that afforded me the ability to do music when I wanted to. It sounds like you struck pretty good balance in that regard. It worked out really well. What about the um, connection between the math and technology and the math and computers? There's probably it's, some analogs there in your brain. You might as well have I, you could be the poster child for this, that people have said that many, many times. I have many, many friends that are organists, pianists, and programmers, and technical people. It's mm-hmm. a, I don't know whether it's a right or a left brain thing, but they're very much the same like way. Like our director, Richard. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first music that you owned yourself when you were a kid uh, or you know, well, a young person? My mother purchased for me on a birthday, I'd have to check to see what year it was, but she purchased Petula Clark's Don't Give Up and the occasion singing I'm a Girl Watcher on 245s. <laughs> and I played them until they're gray, and I still have them, and they're both in my jukebox, the original copies. And uh, I, I, liked, I liked to sing along. My brothers and sisters and I would sing, my sisters, my two sisters in particular. And... Uh, it was just a nice way to grow up, a lot of music. How much music is in your jukebox? And I that's an old, I mean, that's from how, from what era? It's a 1961 Wurlitzer. And the reason I wanted that is because it was built in the exact same factory as, as your... the 1927 pipe organ sitting 20 feet away. But uh, I think there's, what, 100, 100 records in there. And I swap them out. And every they're easy to find on eBay. So every now and then I'll hear something and I'll say, oh, I'd like a copy of that. And a couple of clicks and a 45 shows up. And it's, is it pretty easy to maintain? Oh, yeah. I have a local friend that's kind of good at it, and I uh, will often say, hey, come take a look at this. Or, Does it still have the original speakers in it? Yep. And it still sounds good? Yeah. I've had the amp has been recapped, they call it, but uh, it sounds pretty good. Hmm. It's fun to watch. It's mechanical. Yeah, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what about live music? Uh, have you seen much live music over the years, or have you been? were you too busy leading most church of t- choirs? Most of the time, and that was one of the things is, you know, live music is usually Friday and Saturday Yeah, nights. that's what I was saying. Yeah. But uh, I uh, did a lot of accompanying. I did a lot of accompanying for Edisonia uh, early on. Okay. I did a lot of accompanying for uh, soloists. And uh, Saturday night at 10 o'clock, I headed to bed because I had to be up and not late uh, on Sunday morning. So I've accompanied a lot of choirs and a lot of soloists. I got my first church job. I was sitting in a jury room downtown, and a woman that I had known since I was about six years old was sitting four seats in front of me talking to a woman that she had just basically introduced herself. And about... Ten minutes into it, she turned around and saw me four or five rows back, and she waved. And she turned to the woman she was sitting with and said, that's my friend Stephen. He's a, a pianist. And this woman was a soloist at First Baptist Church. Her name was Lynn. And uh, she was looking for someone to transpose a piece of music for a revival that was coming up. And so I did it for her. Uh, 
and uh, we're still friends on Facebook to this day. So it's fun stuff like that. But what about concerts like that you went to, Mr. I Always Make Music and Don't Think About Consuming It? Well, see, <laughs> this, is, this is where I can back out of this gracefully. Fort Myers in 1975, yeah. when I was a teenager, had nothing. Right. We got concerts on Tuesdays or Mondays and sometimes Thursdays. Where would that have been at the time? Like Hall of 50 States downtown Could maybe? have been the, uh, the Exhibition Hall. You know, Elvis oh, was, oh, yeah, Elvis yeah, was where, there. Right. The Quonset Hut, we used to call it. There was nothing out this far. And um, and the Civic Center wouldn't have been there yet, was right? Not, that was built about the time I was graduated, about 1975 was okay. when I, I remember it being built. But there was nothing like that. I went to a heart concert at the Civic Center one time and was so surprised to see so much gray smoke on the top floor of the building. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and for the youngins out there, the Civic Center was downtown, basically about where Harborside is mm-hmm. now, kind of halfway Harborside, yeah. halfway. Well, where the new hotel's going, probably. Exactly. Um, okay, well, let's move on to song number two. Oh, okay. This is, uh, again, we've moved to Lehigh Acres. Actually, we've discovered that we're staying in Lehigh Acres. We haven't moved there. We're now staying there. And my mother went to work for the company that was building Lehigh Acres as, as a secretary for the night sales department. I think she told me she made $25 a week or something. It was some hmm. ridiculous amount of money. And um, they told her, they got to know her, and they said, look, if you're looking for a house, we've got one here that's been foreclosed upon. If you pay the back payments and keep the current payments up, we'll let you move in. And that was a dream come true for a generation of renters. Mm-hmm. My grandparents had never owned a home till they came here. I think they told me their home here in Lehigh Acres, my grandparents' home knew was $6,000 on a lake. <laughs> and uh, so my mom and I went and looked at this place together. It was near the end of April 1963, and we moved in May 1st. And uh, it was pretty bare. It was a two-bedroom, two, uh, two one-bath eating galley kitchen in the living room, and uh, we had no television. So my mother, again, transistor radio. was I can remember it was a elongated like a loaf of bread radio in a brown leather case and uh, tuned again to our local AM station, and uh, they played Top 40. Well, I later learned that in March or January of that year, uh, Peggy March had recorded a piece of music that had become a big hit, was released in March, I believe. And uh, we heard about it sometime in May, June, July of that year. And uh, every time I turned around, I was hearing that song, every single time. And uh, was really tickled when I heard it was released again and used in a movie, uh, part of Sister Act. But we sang, I will follow him all the time. And uh, my favorite part of this story is, is that later in life, as recently as Three years ago, my friends, a husband and wife on the East Coast in Plantation, uh, met her and knew her. Oh, really? Yes, and invited her to come for his wife's birthday and do a concert for 28 people. And And you were among them? I was seated at her table. Wow. And uh, she uh, is charming. See this picture radio people? Exactly. There's a picture radio (laughs) people. She's charming. Uh And... uh, I sat with she and her husband, who is, is now deceased, and she was kind, and uh, she was fun, and uh, I told her that I had brought my 
45 RPM recording with me, which she was kind enough to sign, radio people. And uh, <laughs> we'll, it, uh, we'll make sure to get those pictures on the website. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll share these. Go to threesongstories.org and you'll see the, the picture yeah. of the record and the photo uh, right there on the site. But she was very kind to me. And of course, I told her that my earliest experience growing up in Lehigh Acres was hearing that song. Um, almost ad nauseum because it was, I mean, literally, I think they only had 15 records at the station, and I recall hearing it multiple times during the day. Let's listen to it. This is I Will Follow Him by, uh, is it Little Peggy Little Peggy March. All right, let's hear it. I will follow him, follow him wherever he Joy being back in Lehigh Acres there for a little while. Yeah, I remembered <laughs> as I was hearing this is that I remember being aware of orchestration probably for the first time. And in that piece, there's a spot where the strings do this slide between the I love hymns and they do this, this slide on the string. And I remember hearing that and thinking that was pretty cool. How do I replicate that in my head? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little kid and standing in the hallway uh, and my mom's home, it's Pretty bare, and a uh, uh, long time ago. Jeez. And it's interesting when you describe the transistor radio as having like a leather case. Like they all had leather cases back then. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that, you know, you, you slipped it in there. That way you could take it to the beach, Yeah, I guess, I guess so. so. Um, now, you've established that you, you sing, that you've sung in choirs and things mm-hmm. like that. Do you sing while you're playing the organ, or are you more of just an instrumentalist in that regard? In, with the organ, there's not many theater organists that sing. Okay, yeah, I can think of one. You're kind of busy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're dealing with three keyboards, a pedal board, and on my instrument, 214 individual control knobs. Right. So I don't have time to sing. But uh, I did play a couple of times in nightclubs here locally. Okay. And uh, I did... Like on like a portable or... Uh, uh, oh, grand piano. I'm, oh. An, I'm an acoustic kind of guy. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, so... Uh, Uh, And I accompanied myself for that, met some fabulous friends that I still have to this day that remember those days in the 80s. But uh, working in a bar is difficult when you have to go to church the next morning. What are your go-to songs if you were going to sing something and play it? Oh, my gosh. Since I Fell for You, which is an old ballad. Uh, When Sunny Gets Blue is another old ballad. And those are the things that I enjoyed playing. But I don't consider them. I have one of those uh, accompanist kind of sounding voices. I don't think it's a solo voice. What about karaoke? Done it one time. Decided that the, if the rest of the world wants to do it, they can. <laughs> I. Uh, it's just, I've done it. I think I've done it. I know I've done it one time. And I remember what I sang and where I was. But uh, What was it? it where was, was it? Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by The Looking Glass. <laughs> but uh, just 
never saw. I really, I really never really wanted to put myself out there as a soloist, to be honest with you. Um, okay, um, I was going to ask, and I am going to ask, um, if there are any TV theme song jingles that you can recall. But I'm going to jump past that for a second, and we're going to get to that Sam Galloway <laughs> jingle. I was afraid of that. So, so uh, I wasn't kidding when I said I was going to bring it back up. So you spent a little time in AM radio back in the 70s or the 80s, yep, you said, yeah, yeah. and you and you recorded a few jingles. Yeah, my sister and How I. How did that Sam Galloway <laughs> one go? <laughs> I suddenly hate you. <laughs> but a, a, a company, and I want to say it was in North Fort Myers, a guy last name was Rogers, did it. And the Sam Galloway Ford commercial was, Sam Galloway Ford, you'll make you so happy. Try it and you'll see. And the tagline was, hang a hug on me. And uh, my sister and another gal and I recorded it. And uh, I remember hearing it used once. This would have been Oh, God, 1983, 1984. We also sang for North First Bank. And that was the first time I'd ever been in a studio where they could punch in a certain word. As you sang a word, if there was a thing they didn't like, they could have you sing it again and just plop in that word. Uh, that and was I, a pretty fancy technical thingamajigger for I the time, sang, probably. I sang North First Bank maybe 300 times that night, North, North First Bank. Nope, they don't like it. North First Bank. Sing it again. But uh, it was pretty amazing technology. But it was a lot of fun. Good experience. That's why I did it. What about TV theme songs? Uh, well, I never did any. But TV theme song. I always liked the Mannix theme. If you can go back that far. It's a 3-4 waltz, which is unusual. 3-4 jazz waltz, which is unusual. I love how you see everything through the lens of musical composition. I, I, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's just so, it's, it, it, I, you, you hear that and you like that. You know, and, you know, I liked all the things, of, you know, I never particularly can think of one that was particularly appealing to me. They all sort of set the stage and of course they become synonymous with the program. So as soon as you hear, you know, the theme song to Friends, you know exactly what's, you know, you don't have to be in the room. And I'm a big I Love Lucy fan, so I've learned all of the iterations of the Lucy themes. Ah, yeah, there yeah, were, yeah. I think there were three. And so I'll play those from time to time. The Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour. On with the show, this is it. It's a great theater organ piece. It starts a program beautifully because everybody knows it. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite band? Uh, it says you, you kind of gave up paying attention in 1980 or so. I was more of a solo um, solo vocalist kind of gotcha. guy. And that's, and that's, and not me personally, but that's what I, so I, in the time period when I was growing up, I was listening to a lot of Elton John uh-huh. and uh, a lot, I believe it, I'm going to get teased by this, a lot of Barry Manilow. I'm a big Neil Sedaka fan. And actually he's kind of on my bucket list to meet someday because I went to one of his concerts here with my mom several years ago. And I was able to sit where I could see him at the piano, oh. just happenstance. And I know all his material. I know what key it's in. And at 78 years old or whatever, he was singing his original compositions in their original keys. I was stunned. Hmm. And I could see it. I know where his hands were. And so I've always been kind of impressed by that. But uh, I, I listened to just about anything 1980 prior, and I'm okay with it. Was there a fourth song that almost made it to this list today that you had to cut? Wow. Wow. Um, there may have been. I can't think of anything particular because I. this was hard. As I told you in the parking lot, this is not easy to do. And when Megan said, you're going to get an email from Mike, I thought, oh, this will be fun. A snap off. It's not. Uh, to find a song that has a specific meaning and invokes a memory. I mean, you know, we all know what we were doing when 
you know, when Kennedy was assassinated, for example. But finding a song that had a meaning, that had something that was had some meat in it, is not easy. And uh, so I I wrote things down, and then I erased things, and I actually typed up my entire because I'm OCD like that. And uh, your entire what? I typed up everything about these three songs. Oh right, right. right. I haven't had a look at it though. But uh, no, there were there were a lot of a lot of other things I liked, but nothing invoked the kind of uh, emotion that, that what I've heard done so far. All right, it's time for your third song. Oh boy, this is a little complicated. When I was um, 23, I heard about a man with a pipe organ in his house in Fort Myers. I was enthralled, and I actually got a clue where it was, and I drove up and down the street, figuring I could see a house. That had a, I figure I was smart enough at 23. Sure, it to, couldn't to, just be hidden in a normal house. Exactly. So I drove up and down the street and um, didn't actually didn't know that the road went on the other side of McGregor Boulevard, so I missed 30 houses. <laughs> so I finally got a local gentleman that had known my family since the 40s, and uh, he made an introduction, called me, and I went to Mr. Walter Drawn's home uh, February 1st, 1980, I'm real funny about dates, too. I, <laughs> and um, carrying some Reader's Digest condensed music books under one arm. I left his home at 1 o'clock that morning. I could not pull myself off the bench playing this hybrid Wurlitzer that he had built there from parts. And uh, he was my uh, sort of a mentor and a friend. He did some crazy things for me. Uh, being the oldest of four, you know, I had to share grandparents and parents, but he was like a private grandfather. Hmm. And uh, I called him Mr., Mr. Drawn, uh, for about a year. And one day I noticed he had all this old hi-fi equipment in his living room. And I said, Mr. Drawn, if I learn enough songs on the pipe organ, can we make a tape so I can let my friends? And he said, Stephen, you learn a couple of songs and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make a good tape. It was about three weeks later I came over because it, I was going over every Thursdays and Saturdays for 18 years. And uh, one day I got to his house, and in the corner of the living room on a card table was all brand-new equipment. There were acoustic research speakers, which were expensive at the time. I remember one was $418, and there were four of them. He had purchased mixing a mixing board, a new Onkyo amplifier, and a cassette deck. And, uh, it was, and I said, what's all this? And he said, well, if we're going to make a recording, we ought to make a good one. Hmm. And I realized that I had re-energized his passion for this. Uh, he was a single, never married man, lived alone. I actually lived with his sister and mother in the house next door. And uh, I re- revitalized his interest in this. And uh, he... It was He would stand behind me and say, no, the rhythm's not right. Try this. And he provided me with cassette tapes. Remember those? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he would uh, would hand them to me and say, listen to this style. And so it was through that for Christmas one year, he gave me two or three recordings by local artist Billy Nall, N-A-L-L-E. If you live in North Fort Myers, you may have heard of Nall Gray. Yeah, absolutely. They are distant cousins, I understand. Huh. Billy Nall went to Fort Myers High. And had graduated during wartime, had gone through uh, Juilliard on a three-year program, and then into the Navy, I believe, to uh, play music for shows. Uh, He left that, uh, ended up in TV and radio in in Manhattan, and uh, ended up 
in the later part of his life being the artist in residence in Wichita, Kansas, playing the World of Sir Organ out of the Paramount Theater in New York. He was born here, and he wanted to retire here, and things happened that made that possible. So he came here. But I met him in Wichita in about 1986, I think. And uh, it was amazing to meet this man. He played jazz theater organ. Hmm. Uh, he actually was able to to bridge that gap into that style. He'd studied with um, Teddy Wilson in, in Juilliard. And uh, his audition piece for Juilliard was Body and Soul. And he played it in B major, which is a ridiculous key. And when Teddy Wilson asked him why, he said, well, why not? <laughs> he evidently had no no problem with keys and, and the, you know, the registers of the different keys. So um, I got to know Billy. And, uh, but before I knew him, Mr. Drawn, Walter, by this time, and I would sit in the living room of what is now my home, and we would play Billy's recordings. And uh, we, would, I was, I would, we would have dinner on Thursday nights, and I'd play the Wurlitzer at his house for a while. And when I was... It's, it can be taxing. And after I'd played for an hour, I was tired. I would sit on the couch and we would talk and we would talk about wouldn't it be nice if we had a trumpet and wouldn't it be nice if we had a post horn and wouldn't it be nice if we had this or that rank of pipes? It's sort of sad now because they're all there. Yeah. And, the, you know, now that the new in, the instrument, the, the opus replaced the uh, previous instrument. But uh, we would listen to Billy's recordings and uh, – he would do something just musically miraculous. And Walter would look at me and he goes, oh, I just hate him. <laughs> and it was just really cute because he just really had this ability. And so when uh, Mr. Drawn, when Walter gave up possession of his home due to his health, I moved in. And it's the residence that I live in mm-hmm. off of McGregor Boulevard. And with it came his albums his, uh, that, that he had collected over the years many of them theater organ recordings of the greats. And this one by Billy included a piece that we used to listen to all the time. And uh, it's Duke Ellington's I'm Beginning to See the Light. And it's it's just an amazing piece of music, the way he plays it. All right, let's listen to it. Uh, this is uh, I'm Beginning to See the Light. It's, uh, re- it's a concert recording from Billy Knoll. Correct. All right. When would that have been recorded? Oh, dear. I don't know. I wish you hadn't asked. I don't know. It was at the Senate Theater in Detroit, 
and all of my theater organ friends on Facebook will probably post the correct date when they about when though can you get oh you know, I'm going to say 68 60, 69 60s okay yeah um, obviously that music affects you I think I saw chills <laughs> I during did it. yeah um, do you try to play that or do you play that I mean or Billy's you, style is complicated yeah I, I mean do you like one, spend some time when nobody's around sort of playing uh, around with it sometime it would be such a it would pale in comparison and uh he just he just had this gift. Uh, it was just amazing, and uh, there are two or three, maybe four, really famous theater organists whose style you can tell his music at the at the first measure, hmm. and in that, you know, he arranged all those. He's changing the key of the song mm-hmm. every two measures. I know uh, it just we would just Walter and I would sit in the living room and just just not believe what was coming out of the machine because of his his prowess and uh you know during the song you handed me an old 1938 i think this uh, is billy's uh, fort billy's myers yearbook. high school mm-hmm. uh yearbook and it's you know i know a lot of uh, i have a, f- a lot of friends i grew up with who are old timers you know i moved here in 1980 as a kid so i'm not an old timer no matter how long i'm here i'll mm-hmm. never be an old timer but the names i was just looking at the other last names i'm like i think these are all you, people you'll see street I'm, names in yeah, here absolutely uh, billy handed me this one time and he, because he he retired here and died here in Fort Myers. He was buried in the old Fort Myers Cemetery. He wanted to live in his little town. That's yeah. what he wanted. And he actually grew up on Larchmont, which is the road yeah, next right to the next, Edison home. Yeah, right. Oh. Yep. And um, one day he said, "Hey, I got this old yearbook. I don't. Even, I'm only going to keep my senior class book. You can have this one. Wow. So it's full of notes and funny things. And uh, uh, yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Uh, and I, uh, my connection to that to that past is the house that I live in on East Riverside, on the other side of downtown, was built by J. Colin English in 1924 when he was principal of Fort Myers High School. Really, Boo, big circle. By the way, um, Peggy March and I from Song Number Two are friends. Email. And so she will hear this podcast. Hi, Peggy. Because I, I, will, I will send her the link. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, she's really cool. Um, you have all these instruments in your house. Do you play the pianos too? Are yeah. they more, yeah. uh, you know, well, decoration? Well, like you said yeah. before, you want to put for sale signs on them well, all so it looks like a I've, showroom I've, floor? I've had several friends threaten to break into my home and put for sale signs on everything. So it looks like Stevens Piano Factory outlet. Um, I have a... Model B Steinway, which is seven feet long, which is my go-to instrument. Uh, it's like a fine guitar. A guitarist knows what a fine instrument will do, and this does musically things that I want it to do, especially with um, overtones and, and harmonics. Uh, I have an 1895, it's the oldest thing in the house, George Steck piano, that's connected to the Wurlitzer. So when I'm sitting at the Wurlitzer, I can turn on the piano tab and the piano next to me. So it's electronically connected yes, then. Sir. So then you have, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. I oh, know player pianos are a thing, but it's the I, same, same principle. It's a I remote have, controlled player piano connected yep. to your Wurlitzer. And then across the room, there's a piano from 1905, which is also connected to the Wurlitzer. It's an upright, uh, it plays honky tonk. Do you ever I, like freak people out when you're at your house and you start playing and a piano starts playing over there? Once they get there, nothing freaks them out. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, oh, more, just more crazy stuff. I have the piano owned by the F.W. Woolworth family, a 1927 Steinway that plays with a piano roll. And uh, it's – I need professional help. That's what it really just boils down to. What about the other antiques and stuff? Is that stuff that you inherited from um, no, Mr. I, Drawn? Is that stuff that you've collected over I the years? I moved into a house with no mortgage. 
And so uh, I had been a big fan of, of fans, like in your windows. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing I collected, brass uh, electric fans. And they spin. And then I moved on to phonographs and Victrolas, and they spin. About this time, someone told me that sometimes being fascinated by spinning fit things can be a form of autism. <laughs> so uh, who knows? But uh, I'm okay with that. And uh, But I just saw things that I liked. And I, you kind of feel like if they're available and you're interested – then it's you're, you save them. You're saving them. You know, not like hoarding. Everything I have works. If it if it doesn't operate, then it's hoarding. But uh, I uh, have just enjoyed them. There's some Victrolas. There's a, a a Seberg background music system, which is what they used to have in the backs of stores, and it plays 16 and a half RPM records, and it stacks them. And when it's done playing the stack, it mechanically lifts the stack and plays them again. Have you ever – this is going to be a strange aside, but have you ever uh, – are you familiar with the Alliance for the Arts? They've done over mm-hmm. the years the Artist Studio Tour. They've done maybe six or seven yeah. of them now. You should throw your hat in that name. You know, It's not necessarily just visual artists. You're mm-hmm. a musical artist and you have a fascinating house that people would so, probably love to come and so look at. So you're saying let more people know how crazy this yeah, is. Oh, absolutely. Right, yeah, absolutely. No, I would capitalize on it. Doing this out loud is bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, do you entertain a lot? It sounds like you I, kind of are set up for I it don't anyway. I specifically entertain – but I, if somebody has expresses an interest and knows somebody and calls and they're polite, uh, I'm more than welcome, more than happy to have them there. Uh, I recently, this last week, uh, a candidate for a council seat in Fort Myers stopped by to knock on the door, and uh, ended up showing he and his wife through through the house. I got a very nice thank you note. But it's really about if you've got the stuff, as I call it. You're kind of obligated to share it. Yeah. I mean, you're just otherwise it's just sitting in your living room collecting dust. So um, we're about out of time. I've got a couple final questions. Um, do you have any songs that you will always avoid listening to for some reason? Oh my gosh, that I would avoid. Like turn off if it comes into your ears if you have the power. Oh my! You know, I've never occurred to me to turn the to turn it off because it's often never on. Right. Uh, there, if 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 there are you don't submit yourself to much random music. No, it sounds like. I don't. You know, and I'm I'm never in a situation where I would hear anything that was you know really really too modern. Uh, there are some songs that you know make me laugh, and uh, oh my gosh, I'll own that again. But I don't think I've ever turned anything off. As I said, 1980 is about the cutoff for me, right? And uh, with some exceptions, and um, I uh, I don't listen to things that are I don't listen to stuff that's negative. You know, when I grew up, it was all about love songs and dancing. There was not much else. You right, know? right. And, uh, you know, things tend to be a little darker, a little more edgy, for lack of a better word. Uh, what happened to the, you know, partial Wurlitzer that you replaced? Well, the instrument that was in the house had 15 voices, 15 ranks. <clears throat> I, the builder that installed the replacement instrument, kept nine of those. Hmm. And I was able to sell the others, you know, to enthusiasts that need those parts. But uh, I, it it was just divine inspiration that the guy knew what he was doing and could meld the old parts with the new one. So mm. I've got all of the original pipes plus nine additional sets. And you said that uh, uh, your organ, they have an opus? Is that like an a— An opus number. It's like a, an opus is like a, a word. serial number. It's like a serial number. Mine's 1773. Does your cat have an opus? No, he's just, you know. <laughs> Your cat's name is Opus, right? Opus, okay. yeah. And um, he's, just a, he's just there. 
Uh, he sometimes will sit on the bench with me. It's kind of bizarre. He kind of likes the crowds. He's a typical cat. You know, he, just, he does what he wants to do. He makes an appearance when he wants to. He thinks he's in charge. Well, he might and, be. Uh, but for the most part, it's all good. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? No, I just am, think it's very nice that you're doing this. It's a nice insight to uh, us locals. And I've learned a little bit about myself uh, just listening today. All right. Thank you for doing it. You're welcome. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio at Florida Gulf Coast University. The show's co-creator and producer is Richard Chin Kui. Tara Callaghan produces our online content. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're back in the summer of 1998 in the northwest corner of South Carolina. I was there for one of my best childhood friends, Jeremy's Wedding, which was at this amazing little wedding spot called the Fred W. Sims Chapel, better known simply as Pretty Place. Just Google it to see how perfectly descriptive that name is. The chapel looks out over thousands of acres of mountainous woods. Anyway, the trip up the mountain was slow and winding, and I was driving another friend's truck because he had already headed up with the wedding party. His girlfriend was riding with me, and we were listening to an album I had recently stumbled across by a North Carolina-based funk band called DAG. It was called Righteous. And while not at all my normal groove, it had just hooked me during that stretch of time in my life. I don't listen to it much anymore, but when I hear them, I'm transported back into the cab of Kaus's green Dodge Ram pickup on a beautiful summer day, jamming along the winding road with Joni on the way to one of the coolest weddings I'll ever attend, which culminated at the reception with Jeremy singing faithfully by journey to his beautiful new bride, Sabrina, accompanying himself on a grand piano. Might have to use that moment as another song story. Damn good times those were. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. So what kind of spices did you put on that egg this morning? <laughs> well, uh, simple spices, a basil and oregano. What kind of stuff would we find in your novels in terms of exotic cuisines? Uh, your your uh, Machiavellian and your, uh, uh, and your yeah. segues there. I have to, I have to t- stay 10 steps ahead of you on that one. <laughs>